I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. Hey, this is Jeff. In February of 2020, one of the last things TJ and I did together before COVID was to throw an epic Enneagram conference we called Liberation. In it, we elevated the Enneagram as a tool not only to see ourselves and our motives, but to see our obstacles and how to overcome them. We were very proud of this material, though we had to cancel all of our remaining 2020 events. Over the next few weeks, we will be releasing clips from that conference with the hope that not only you'll share it, but that we can begin creating our next touring event for 2022. Thank you again, as always, for listening, and may all good things be yours. I'm going to set up where we are going this afternoon. This is just going to take about 10 minutes, and I want to talk about dragons. You ready to talk about dragons, Josh? It's going to be great. You will know dragons. They look like this. Because here's the thing. Dragons aren't real. Oh, but unless you're a Disney character. Uh, there's something about dragons that I'm deeply fascinated by. Because if you're a hero in your story, if you are a character that wants something, and you have an obstacle that you're going to overcome, then we might as well throw in the image of dragons to be that obstacle. I'll give me two seconds. Sorry. You will be familiar with all sorts of stories about the knight and the dragon. For example, Shrek and the dragon. And there's a donkey somewhere that's on the edge. The, uh, who else? Uh, crocodile Dundee and the crocodile. This is actually a knight tale. He defeats the dragon in the middle of that movie, saves the princess. She's the daughter of a newspaper uh, titan. Uh, my favorite, of course, is Captain America, who is a knight, and he is fighting Hydra. And you will know from ancient mythology that Hydra is a dragon. One of the first things that Hydra asks Captain America, by the way, is, who are you? And he says, nobody. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. And there ends up being that identity that he holds in his heart as he goes to fight the dragon. Of course, we've talked about Bilbo. Bilbo is content in Bilbo's hobbit hole. And the dwarves, when they arrive, how many of you are familiar with The Hobbit? This is a fantastic book. I've read The Hobbit 20 times. I've taught classes on Tolkien. Fun fact about me, I have never finished The Lord of the Rings, which you shouldn't teach Tolkien classes if you don't read The Lord of the Rings. But I've never finished it. And there's a fun fact. I'm the only person in America, and I relate to my fours on that front. The dwarves come, and they say he's more like a grocer than a burglar. But of course, he's not. This line, he's more of a grocer, he looks more like a grocer than a burglar, is actually repeated as he enters the dragon's lair to confront Smog. And when Smog sees him, the dragon starts speaking. He says this He says, You have nice manners for a thief and a liar. Oh, he's a thief now. See, he has moved from grocer status to burglar status. You seem familiar with my name, but I don't remember smelling you before. Notice what the dragon says. Who are you? And where did you come from, may I ask? Identity. Who are you? This is going to establish the character. And he is confronting 
the obstacle. And all of that comes together again. Who are you? What do you want? Here's the obstacle in front of you. Notice what Bilbo says. And this is fantastic. I come from under the hill. By the way, he's invisible at this time. And under the hill and over the hill, my path led. And through the air, I am he that walks unseen. I am the clue finder, the web cutter, the stinging fly. I was chosen for the lucky number. I am he that buries his friends alive and drowns them and draws them alive again from the water. It's a great Catholic image from Tolkien. I came from the end of a bag, but no bag went over me. I am the friend of bears and the guest of eagles. I am the ring winner, luck wearer. I am the barrel rider. Man's not a grocer, that's for sure. He holds a robust image of himself in this move. It's like I have standing and I'm doing something. I'm engaging my body and confronting the obstacles out there. As he leaves, Smog calls Bilbo thief in the shadows because he is officially a burglar. One of the things that Tolkien knows, Tolkien essentially invents the English department in American universities and English universities. He is very interested in language. <laughs> Burglar comes from the same word as bourgeois. Um, it, both of them come from the, the word, it's an old word, for castle. It's, the, it's borough. Those who are bourgeois own the boroughs. Those who are burglars enter the bur boroughs to steal. If we see Bilbo at the beginning, he is this bourgeois character. He is sitting in the comforts of his home there at Bag End. But he is called out of that into something else. He moves from being bourgeois to becoming a burglar. There is like a conversion. There's a transformation. He wants something, and he overcomes to get it. Notice what he is overcoming. When he confronts the dragon... What's he really confronting? Is it just this obstacle? Or perhaps does the dragon also sit in comfort? Does the dragon have riches? Does the dragon have something that we might call a castle? Isn't it the case actually that the dragon is himself very much when we meet him? Much like Bilbo when we meet him. Smog, super concerned with anyone stealing his gold. Bilbo, super concerned with the Sackville Bagginses who might have their eye on his property and will eventually take his spoons. When Bilbo faces Smog, who's he facing? Of course he is. An angel comes to the Hobbit. All the wizards in Middle-earth are actually angels. If you watch it again or read the books, you'll notice. Gandalf's an angel. He invites Bilbo out of sloth and greed and apathy, and he eventually finds... A sword, finds the ring, becomes more and more confident, and his story climaxes. Not when he confronts Smog. Bilbo's story climaxes when he surrenders his greed. He takes the most precious thing in the world, the heart of the mountain, the Arkenstone, and he gifts it away graciously so that his land can be free, free from the desolation of Smog. The Hobbit, one of the world's great works of fiction, isn't about the hero defeating the dragon out there. The dragon's inside of him. Note that. Let's talk about Hiccup. Hiccup is a young iron worker who wants to connect with his dad, stay true to himself, when the heart of Astrid 
And he does the thing that will get him there. Dude takes down a dragon through his skill and cunning. He has what it takes to not only see a night fury, but to take one down. The only problem with Hiccup is that he is a man of character. He's a man of science. And he moves instead of to kill the beast and get what he apparently wants. He moves to get something else and more. So he frees the beast, begins to study the beast. He eventually learns the secret to all dragons and in so doing gains a friend. And the whole of this story is found in the, in the title. Do you want authenticity? Do you want freedom? You want to grab hold of your one and only life? I will teach you how to train a dragon. That's a prescription. The dragon isn't this black lizard. The dragon's inside of him. And when he engages his character, the best elements of himself, he becomes a flourishing human being that ends up saving his city. Clary Starling is a young knight. The princess has been kidnapped. She, is, she can only be saved by a magic spell known only to the red dragon. The young knight is sent down into the dungeon, into the dragon's lair. And he looks her over, and you will know this. The first thing that Hannibal Lecter says is, I would like to see your credentials. If you're asking for somebody's credentials, what question are you asking? Who are you? She knows if she's able to trade the dragon to learn this secret, she's going to have some magic powers to save the princess. But the dragon also wants to know something. The dragon wants to know, who are you? And this is the centerpiece of this whole film, which is amazing. You need to watch again, preferably when there's other people in the house, because I made the mistake a couple weeks ago. Everybody's gone. Oh, I saw Silence of the Lambs. That was a mistake. <laughs> it just goes, Ter terrible idea. It's not... <laughs> Notice what Clarice says to the dragon. Clarice is going to tell a tale about her dad, who was a knight, I mean a cop, who died fighting evil. I mean, he was shot in a burglary. And she was orphaned and sent to live with her uncle far away in the mountains. And one night she heard screaming. There were children being slaughtered, I mean lambs. And because she was a knight... Even though she was young, she rises up and she grabs one of the lambs and she runs. And they find her far away because she's a protector. She's a knight. Um, and her uncle just says, well, this isn't going to work. Sends her to an orphanage. And Clarice, like King Arthur, like Bruce Wayne the Dark Knight, like Luke Skywalker the Jedi Knight, like Jon Snow, grows up an orphan. And the thing about orphans is they don't have a home and they don't have somebody to tell them this is who you are. They need to discover that. And that's why orphan tales are everywhere. You throw a rock at a superhero character, they're an orphan. Spider-Man's an orphan, Superman's an orphan, Batman's an orphan, Wolverine's an orphan. I could go on, but it'd be boring. But you get the point. It's because those tales of I have what it takes, I have the powers, are really about identity and how we rise up and find ourselves. And so Clarice, in order to become a knight, has to overcome the dragon. And the dragon isn't Hannibal. The dragon isn't smog. It's not toothless. 
The dragon is her insecurities. The dragon, and she'll say this throughout the movie, it's, it's she comes from nothing and is putting up a facade and he sees right through it, names it, says, this is who you are. And she feels worthless when she's down in the dragon's lair. What's, how is she going to overcome this? That's the story. Because, of course, all stories, all good stories, are about character. That character wants something. And they overcome an obstacle to get it. The dragon isn't out there. Your dragon's in the room. You brought a dragon with you. And it is your shadow. It's the shadow to your type. And the Enneagram gives your dragon a name. And the dragon, at the end of the day, is actually the only obstacle. Consider these quotes. The Buddha says, the one who conquers himself or herself is better than one who conquers a thousand men in battle. Plato, the first and greatest victory, this is what the entire republic is about. First and greatest victory is to conquer yourself. To be conquered by yourself is, of all things, the most shameful and vile. And of course, Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And in Romans, he elevates. It is something inside of us that we need to get a hold of. So that's where we're going to go. We are going to talk about our desires and our fears and our sins and our fixations and how they manifest in our lives. So, you ready to slay a dragon? Yep. We got nine of them. So this is, this is going to be the fun part because when we talk about your dragon, it's going to make you feel like garbage. Don't worry. Everyone in the room is doing this same exercise. So, like, you're not alone. And we're not calling you out. We're naming the dragon that you already have. A great... So, we talked about the Enneagram, uh, people putting... Using the Enneagram to put people into boxes. A great way to think about the Enneagram is it's not showing you... It's not putting you into a box. It's showing you the box that you're already in. We're going to name some dragons. And there's going to be one or two of these that you're like, they're, they're reading my mail, and I don't want anyone to know that thing about me. It's okay. You're safe here, I promise. Uh, but that's, that's what this is. That's, that's about these, these negative sides of each of these types that are going to help inform, help give us a name for our dragon so that we can start to learn to tame it, to train it, to let it become the stallion that it actually is supposed to be. You want to start with the, let's start with the eights again. Great. Eights don't want to be controlled by dragons. Let's knock this sucker out. Eights are the protective challenger, motivated by a need, a desire to be strong and in control. When that turns into a fear, that's the move. You have a desire. It's part of your heart. It's part, you are a character that wants something. But when your desire, your primary desire becomes a fear, that's the road towards the dark. So what's the fear of eights? So their fear is being controlled, or to put a finer point on it, being vulnerable. So if, if that, that desire to be strong, to be in control, to be protective, if that stuff turns, on the other side of that, it's a complete unwillingness to be vulnerable. 
if you let yourself be vulnerable, other people can hurt you. Other people can take control of you. And that is where, that's the fear that lives at the heart of an eight. Fear is going to then transform in, in our hearts into sin. And the sin traditionally for eights is lust. Yeah. How's so I'm sure you've all heard the word lust before. What this means in the heart of an eight is a lust for life. It's not necessarily sexual lust. It is a desire, a need for more intense experiences. It's, it's, it's visceral. It's carnal. It's about all things, and it can be lust for power. It can be sexual lust. It can be lust for food. It can be lust for people. But the lust is, is about letting that an unhealthy need for something else. You have a fear being vulnerable, being controlled. How does that transform into lust then? It seems to me that I'm going to be in control of myself. Yeah. You're not going to tell me what to do. Yep. I, I am not going to be fearful. I will show you that I'm in control because notice yep. how much I can do, enjoy, oversee I can conquer the world. Yep. And I can have whatever I want. I can have whatever I want. Our image for sin is that it's something in our hearts. Um, so the fear enters our hearts. It manifests itself in our hearts as, as sin. The sin is going to work its way up into our minds, into the, our thought life and patterns. And we're going to call that fixation on the sheet. So you will see that these under shadow, we have fear, sin, fixation. Um, lust from the heart moves into the head as vengeance. So yeah, becoming, moving from that place of, of wanting a more visceral experience, when I don't get that, when I focus too much on that, then all of a sudden I need to turn that experience outward and it becomes vengeance, becomes revenge, it becomes taking action against other people because of what I lack now. And so we can see how that movement from our hearts into our minds then moves into our bodies. And we put down the manifestations of immaturity. This manifests, our thought life always will manifest itself in our actions. And in the, the life of an eight that's gone down an unhealthy path, you will see a vengeful posture, a destructive posture, a violent posture, and even a tyrannical posture. Anything else on? We, we joke about like the power and control of eights and, and the, the presence of them being in the room. But when eights go sour, you all have an idea of what that looks like. When eights go wrong, when they go down this path, they become destructive and, and tyrannical is a great word. They are controlling. You are going to do exactly what I say or I'm going to cut off your head. Sometimes literally. <laughs> We're going to talk about being saved from this later because you, yep. you need to train a dragon. Right. Your dragon is going to be different from the guy or girls next to you. It's often the case that as we're going through these, one of the things you're going to note is, oh, yeah, my spouse struggles with that. <laughs> you will see the dragons of other folks quite cleanly, easily, and can name them immediately, at least as a one I can, because like, I'm judgmental at heart. Um, <laughs> There is something about that dragon, however, that can often be very difficult for us when we are struggling with it to actually put a finger on, name it, and, and begin to do those healthy things that give us 
more control, insight, power over the things that harm us. So that's the shadow side of eights. Uh, let's talk about some nines. Nines have a basic desire. Um, their basic desire is to keep peace, maintain their stability. That can clearly transition to a fear. You want to talk about the fears of nines? Uh, that fear is about losing connection, uh, separation. The way I like to think of this is um, if you think of the Enneagram circle uh, as an iceberg and the pieces break off and all of the different types drift away from each other, that's the kind of separation that I fear. The maintaining, keeping a piece is about making sure that those pieces don't break off to maintain the, the sort of wholeness that we have. Because if, if that goes away, then we lose connection. We lose whatever keeps us together. That's why I avoid conflict. And that moves, again, to becoming a sin. And that, when, that, when that fear becomes sin, heart becomes sloth. I bet you can talk about the sloth. Yeah, sloth is easily the couch potato thing. Like, that's easy to point to, uh, not doing anything. But it's more than that. It's, it's more of a, a destructive attitude. It's, it's not doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Me picking all of the hair out of my brush when I should be brushing my teeth because I'm already late for work, that's sloth. It's, it's non-productive doing. It is not rest. Rest, as many of us know, is a great good, and most of us need more sleep and actually need to take a day off. That is not what sloth is. Sloth is a posture of heart where I'm not caring about what is actually good. It actually can be the case that sloth means you're not resting. You're productively doing things that keep you from rest. But sloth in the heart moves into the head as indolence. And indolence gets closer to that space of not caring. So the example that I told uh, in, in our podcast about this, uh, everyone remembers that Notre Dame caught on fire earlier this year, right? I had an emotional reaction to that happening, and like, like this is so sad, this is such a terrible thing. Notre Dame caught on fire, and like, what if this beautiful hundreds-of-year-old cathedral burns down, and it, it's such a serious moment for the, the people of France and, and the people of the world, like, this is a big deal. And also, there's a war going on in, like, 75 different countries in the world that I know nothing about because my indolence has turned off that part of my brain. I don't think about these things happening because I don't care about them. That's what indolence is. Sloth moves into the head and becomes a practice of not caring. You'll be familiar with the term doling out punishment. That's where this rude word comes from. There is the opposite in I into to the doling out of punishment is how can I posture my mind to not experience the conflict? And I'm going to find the creative negative ways to do that. And then, of course, that manifests itself in your posture, in repression, in neglectfulness towards yourself and others, towards stubbornness and self-abandoning. You want to talk about that? It, this becomes a cycle. All of these things become cycles. Uh, so uh, with the eights, tyranny breeds lust, which breeds vengeance, which breeds tyranny. Uh, sloth 
breeds indolence, which breeds re- neglect and, and stubbornness and abandon, self-abandonment, which breeds sloth, which breeds indolence, which breeds abandonment. Yeah. That is a, the cyclical nature of a lot of these. You'll begin to notice it with all the types, that they just build. Once, once you just start spinning down the rabbit hole, it can get ugly. Uh, questions? Thoughts on nines? Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I think it's a combination of several factors. Uh, I think indolence is a big part of it. You've been pushed to a point where the only path forward is to not care about this anymore or to do the hard work to actually be in this and deal with the conflict. It's way easier to say, that, that's enough, I'm done. Okay, I'm out. When the thing I hear there is the affect groups, the threes, sixes, and nines will all have the tem- uh, temptation to detach from relationships. Threes if they're not getting the attention, sixes if they're not getting the security, and nines if there's conflict and therefore they can't control the relationship, then withdrawing might be a natural move there. And that might be healthy at certain times, but oftentimes, as we'll talk about next, engaging conflict is a, is a big thing for nines, especially if it's done out of a spirit of love. Questions? Any other nine questions? Yeah. That I stopped caring. And yeah. I just I shut it all off and I'm done. And uh, I don't know what's going on in Washington and I don't care. If you can't fix it. And my goodness, it is way easier to not pay attention than to spend all that energy being mad. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that can be said about that. The p- political party thing, it's I don't want to get into politics, but um, yeah, because I'm a nine. Yeah, I absolutely do not want to have that fight with a room full of strangers. Um, I mean, <laughs> he does. Uh, but it's, it's also, like, I, I think there is a good healthiness to recognizing what fights are important and what fights aren't. If your spouse is abusive... Like, or that is a place where I think it's okay to say, I'm done with you and walk away. If your spouse doesn't do the dishes right, that's a fight you should have. In the world of politics, if this is the way that the world is going to be saved, then you might need to do some work to have some of those kinds of fights. But you need to figure out what's important and what's worth fighting about. That, that actually is the fruit of sloth, is mm-hmm. if you are slothful in your thinking and don't take the time to say, this is worthy of my energy and attention because it's good, yeah. and this is not because it's trash and it's not going to matter. Right. It's the sloth. Anyway. There's, there's some real things that are happening there, and like, you have to fi- figure out what's important to you. Is it worth the energy that you have to give to it? Because you have to give some. Is it worth the conflicts that you're going to have? 
Because you're going to have conflicts. Traditional natural virtues. We do this in our podcast at one point, but our wisdom, courage, and moderation. And in terms of, these are going to all confront sloth, wisdom in the mind, moderation in the body, and courage in, in the heart. Being a good person, engaging what matters, and knowing what to withdraw from, that's balance. It's moderation. It's super important to the healthy, good, thriving life. And the lesson for all of us, not just nines, is that nines see these things in this particular way, and you might see them differently. You might be hearing me say that fighting about politics isn't important and thinking that's ridiculous. Our world is going to be affected by how politics happens. Some of us don't think it's that important, and that's okay. Some of us do because that is part of our motivation, and that's okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not everybody's to do. Yeah, there are nine ways of seeing. Recognizing that the way you see is different from the way someone else sees, we might actually have less fights about politics. We'll, we'll notice actually the balance here because we're going to talk about ones. And so if you, for example, Gandhi is a political figure, and I'm super glad Gandhi gets cranked up about imperialism. But there's something that's his to do. So let's imagine Gandhi's one. Primary for ones is to improve themselves in the world, to not be spoiled inside. Moves into their, the fear there, however, is what? Their fear is being corrupted, evil, defective. They fear being wrong. The fear, again, moves, manifests itself as sin in the heart as resentment. That's going to be another bridge. How do you cross that bridge? Uh, so as this is a great tie into the, the, that idealism. So there's, there's a particular way that the world should be. And because one's fear being wrong, fear being incorrect, fear uh, being defective in any way, when they cannot reach the ideals that they're aiming for, that turns into anger, that turns into resentment, that turns into to spaces of, of, of pure frustration about not being able to reach that goal. Yeah. For not only themselves, but the world that's right. around them. Right. Sorry. And as that sin continues to develop, it spills outward. Yeah. That, of course, moves from the heart into the head as what we're calling hypersensitivity. Uh, you want to talk about that? Uh, I'm going to actually ask him to do more of that. The hypersensitivity, so when, when resentment becomes more of a mental thing, you start to become really irritable. You start to become sensitive to what other people are doing wrong. Yep. Yeah, it's, so if, if, it's, if you're basic, if you're, as a one, if your basic desire is to improve yourself in the world, well, you want to improve the world. If the world's not changing, which, it, which sometimes doesn't, you develop an anger toward it not getting better. And that can begin to spiral toward critiquing. So let's just pick a political figure out there. And you begin to see that political figure's, there's a big fault there. And now there's two big faults. And now there's five big faults. And now you're sensitive to every single little thing that political figure does. And then you're just in this whirlwind of being super sensitive to this issue. And it's a fixation. So then ones who are starting to become ruled by this unhealth, by this immaturity, they start to look like know-it-alls. They're pharisaical. 
They're self-righteous and inflexible. My way is the right way. And why aren't you all doing it my way? And I'm now angry at all of you because you're not doing it the way that's right, which is my way. I already checked my rightness, my ideals have already been thought through. So we don't need to consider those anymore. Now we just push with all of our energy into the world. Thinking repressed ones. That would be one of the places where ones are thinking repressed. Which twos are going to be motivated by a need to be loved and needed. Of course, that can become a fear. You guys could probably name the fear right there. Is that somehow you are unworthy of love, right? You want to talk about fears and sins? Yeah, at the core of uh, twos, threes, and fours are all, uh, their fear is all very much about attention. Uh, Ace, nines, and ones, their, their fears are about autonomy, control, power. Uh, twos, threes, and fours, twos, moving into that attention space, their, their sense is that they don't deserve love, that they don't deserve the love of other people, that they don't have value outside of their behavior. Moves into that fear, moves into their heart as pride, which is, again is one of those, okay, how do you get that? How do you get there? That doesn't make sense. As twos move about, if you are earning the, like, if you're the most helpful person, then obviously you do deserve the thing that you're looking for. And notice who's the subject of what we're talking about. It's the two. The twos are doing things for other people in order to get something for themselves because they feel unworthy of love, and it's all a focus on themselves. That's what pride is. Pride is not thinking too much, too highly about yourself. Pride is about thinking of yourself too much. That's, That's what Kraft. twos are doing. Yeah, I can't remember the exact quote. That's it. it yeah. was, that was Peter Kraft. Yeah. Peter Kraft's philosophy does that. It's such a good quote. Pride moves from the heart into the head as flattery. This one's good. So if you start to think about someone who spends that time in their pride, and as that starts to become a mental fixation, moves it up into the head, that becomes a sense of accepting all of the things that people say about me. And I want to be praised in particular ways that tell me that I have worth. And it's uh, that the flattery, like it, it's all hollow because it's all based on the thing that has been done, and that's what flattery is. Flattery is this, this balloon filled with nothing that is praising people for no reason. Root word here uh, is, I think it's a French word, but it comes from flat, flat of your hand, and the image here is that you're fixated on how you can get pet by others and how you can pet others in order to receive the affection you desire is kind of the root of how that spins. That flattery manifests in, in our immaturity as manipulation, as being victimized. Notice how much I'm suffering um, of being entitled. There's the pride side and of being coercive. Any thoughts on those words? Uh, the stereotype of the martyred mother. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's yeah, sorry if I just insulted anyone. <laughs> that was not intentional. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the, like, that stereotype is a great example of this kind of behavior. Threes have a motive. It's to, to appear successful. 
Note the careful language here. It's not to be successful. It is to appear successful. And to avoid the appearance of failure. And so that works in, what? well, their fear then would be... Uh, being valueless. Yeah. Talk about that. So twos specifically are, think they are unworthy of love. Threes think they don't have any worth at all in and of themselves. Threes think that at their core, they're hollow and worthless. That's their fear. There's a traditional list of seven deadly sins. There's a book, a great book out there. The Attitudes and the Deadly Sins, you should pick this up. I forget the author's name, but it's fantastic. Seven. seven something like there. Jim Cook or Jim something? Jim Cook, that's it. Yeah. The, uh, you will notice that for threes, deceit, and for sixes, um, doubt are not one of the seven deadly sins. There's apparently nine types. Those two are important, and this is the first on the list that isn't a traditional deadly sin, but deceit, you can see why decept be, lying about oneself would be a temptation and the sin that takes root in the heart um, if the fear is being worthless. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so deceit, uh, a lot of threes push back on this idea because they don't think they're lying. Uh, they're not deceitful people. Uh, deceit is about, is uh, often directed towards the inside, towards the interior life. One of the things that I heard most recently that I'm really excited to start incorporating and expanding upon and, and getting other people on board with is it's not about lying. It's about over-identifying with the role that you think you're supposed to be playing. So I talked about threes will adapt to whatever thing they need to, uh, whatever thing they think they need to do in order to get the attention that they that they're looking for. And the deceit comes in when they start to believe that that is their identity. So if you're a teacher and a three, you're going to be the best teacher, but you're not just a teacher. And if you only identify with that part of your role, then you're lying about your full self. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to other people in order to gain the attention. It's over-identification with the role that you're trying to play. Of course, that moves from the heart into the mind as vanity. And I, I think there's a, a, a pretty clear through line here. When the mirror that you're looking at mm -hmm. is the most beautiful thing, then you... Like that, that is what vanity is. It's when, the fairest of them all, man. Yeah. So that deceit, that practice, that over-identification with your role becomes a mental practice. And it becomes that practice of looking at the mirror to make sure your appearance is going along with the lie that you're telling yourself. When that manifests in folks who haven't dealt with the sin in their heart and this fixation it can come across as people who become opportunistic, deceptive, in career, addicted, um, fours. Um, fours have a primary motive to be understood, experience their feelings, to uh, fours have a sense of their originality. How do you say it? I'm, I'm missing uh, it. It's not that they want to be unique. It's that they have an intuitive sense of their own uniqueness yep. and want that to be reflected in the world. 
They want to express their own individuality that they already feel. It's to both express it and to be acknowledged for it? Yes. The motive would be to be acknowledged for your own uniqueness. I'd argue more validated than acknowledged. Ooh, validated. That's a good word. Which is great to move us to the fear of fours, which is that they are personally insignificant. Clearly, that would be the fear. If you want to talk more yeah. about Threes that? are f twos, again, through the lens of other people, feel like they are unworthy of love. Threes feel like they have no value. Fours feel like their particular place, their particular expression in the world is insignificant, is meaningless, is doesn't matter. This will again be a bridge of moving from personal in insignificance to envy. How's that, how do you cross that bridge? Well, if you feel like you are insignificant, then you look out at the world trying to find what part of you is wrong. You look around and see this person fits, this person fits, this person fits. Why not me? That's what envy is about. One of the great things about fours is the ability to see the beauties in so much of the world. Turn that and make it a shadow. And of course, you see all the beauties out there in the rest of the world that aren't part of you and who you are. And that spirals into envy. Envy in the heart is a sin, moves into the head as the fixation of melancholy. And melancholy is general sadness, malaise, displeasure. Uh, it's, it's that envy turned into a thought pattern. It's almost accepting that you don't, that you are insignificant and living sort of in that space. It's a great thing about fours that being able to dwell in, rest in the dark places with other people. And then obviously there's a shadow side to that that I can, you can get stuck in the darkness yourself. Um, Kurt Cobain famously says, I miss the comfort of being sad. Sometimes that sadness can be quite comforting. And that would be a description of this is in my head and I'm just going to dwell here, make my house here, build my home here. And so that manifests when folks haven't wrestled with their envy and melancholy can come across, manifest as self-pity or um, hatefulness. Is that towards self and others? Yeah, it's both. Alienation. You're taking such a big step back. Mm -hmm. And pushing people away. Uh-oh. Yeah. There it is. And, of course, despair. Is it comparison? It's comparison, but it's the next step of comparison. Why uh, not it's, it's comparison of your value and my deficiency. There is a value judgment taking place. That person is better than me. There's the values. But Envy steps in and says... I should have that. Yeah, so why not me? Mm -hmm. um, why am I not the one who, who is being applauded for the fantastic soul that I am and the work that I do uh, can, can, I imagine, would come across? Questions on fours? good. He's going to answer it. <laughs> so, there's a real obvious answer to that. Go ahead, TJ. Uh, so the question, 
is about uh, the difference between um, like Nine's ability to see multiple sides to everything and general empathy. There's not much difference. Nine's being able to see all the sides leads to certain types of behavior. Part of that is empathy. Empathy is about putting yourself into other people's shoes. Empathy is about trying to relate to other, what other people are going through. Some types are better at this than others are. Uh, it is a natural part of nine seeing multiple sides. The, the difference there would be that I can understand where you're coming from and help communicate it, but I don't necessarily have to agree with you. Empathy lets me move towards you in that way. The seeing multiple sides does not necessarily move me towards you in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Ninja. Um, fives. Fives are going to be motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy. We said it a different way in our sheet, though. Motivated by a need to feel capable, prepared, and competent. There's a fear there, which would be the fear of being incompetent. You're in a situation where you're not possessing understanding. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so we moved into the head triad. So now we're talking about fears that have to do with safety and security. So being incompetent is about safety and security. Being unprepared, uh, not having enough resources, not having enough preparation, it's, it's all about not being ready to do the thing that you are supposed to be doing. A great example of that is that there are several people in this room right now that if we ask them to tell us about this experience, they wouldn't be able to because they were surprised by that. But if we had asked them yesterday to talk about this experience now, they probably would have been prepared and they would feel a, a little bit more okay about that. So not being prepared, being put on the spot, being unready, unresourced to take care of the things that you need to do. That's what this fear is about. Unresourced is a great word because that's going to move into the sin, which the sin is greed. And greed isn't about spending a bunch of money on all the things. Greed is hoarding. It is, you're not going to spend much at all because you are stockpiling resources to ensure that you're prepared, to ensure that you have all the things that you need for the thing that might get you. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on greed? We talked about the, uh, the energy, the limited amount of energy that fives have, and this is part of where that greed comes from, is their, their sense of their limits. And so that needing to, to gather and conserve and protect the resources that'll get me to the thing, that is what greed is about. Moves from the heart into the mind as stinginess. We put emotional stinginess, but I imagine it's both, yeah? Yeah. You want to talk yeah, about um, Because like, it, it's one thing to try and gather all of the things. Stinginess moves more towards not being able or willing to share the things. Greed is about gathering. Stinginess is not sharing. 
because you have to protect those resources. And as you, your greed becomes more and more of a mental fixation, you start to become less and less willing to let those things out. Manifests as reality escaping isolation, and it can become nihilistic. You want to talk about nihilism in fives? Is that about, that's a bleak view. Yeah, um, because you can't prepare for every eventuality. Oh, come on. That's good. So why even try? Come on. Uh, is time something that could Yeah. Oh, time and yeah, energy for, for sure. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's why it's it, like, like the concepts of greed, it, it's really hard to talk about this because it's, it's time, it's money, it's information, it's energy, it's, it's love, it's paper clips, it's, it's all kinds of physical things, but it is everything else as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not exposing my emotional needs. I'm hoarding them in. And so the ability to ask for help may not come naturally or might be more difficult. And um, if I tell other people that I need help, then I am openly admitting that I'm not prepared. Yeah. The, there's a, there's a yeah. traditional list for all the types, which we may hit, but for fives, the, the thing that our hearts needs, need to hear is your needs are not a problem that they need to hear that from those in their life. They need to hear that from their creator. They need to experience that from those who love them so that they can live in that reality. And so you're, what I heard is the opposite. The question kind of pushed toward the opposite of that, you know, in terms of exposing one's needs. Uh, sixes. Sixes are the guardians motivated by a need to find security and support. Obviously, the fear would be then being without support. So you want to talk about that? Because sixes don't trust themselves, they outsource their security to things that they have gathered around them. They give them the support, the safety that they're looking for. Um, and so the, their fear is always that they will be left without the support that they need to be safe. They cannot trust themselves, and so their fear is that everything else is going to fall apart too. It's going to move into their hearts as doubt. That's doubt of others, but that's also doubt of what? Yeah. Um, so, again, they don't trust themselves, which means they start from a place of being skeptical. They're skeptical of the people, the motivations. They're skeptical that things could go right. Um, so, it's, it's doubt that influences their whole life. And a, a lot of other lists have, have put this at fear. I think doubt is a much more interesting way to describe this because it's not necessarily always pure fear. It's, it's not being able to trust other people. It's not being able to trust that things are going to work. It's not being able to trust that... that things are going to go the way that they're supposed to. And so what do I do to prepare for the eventuality of things not working out? That's doubt. That doubt moves into the mind as we put two words here because this can be common of very different ways that it works into the mind for sixes. On one side, it can, it can become a fixation of cowardice. And on the other, it can be recklessness. 
You want to speak to? Yeah. So if if you're living in a world of doubt and you let that doubt creep up in your head and you start to let that be the mental patterns that you have, then you can't move. You you spend time in that doubt because it keeps you from acting. That's what cowardice is. Not being able to act out of fear or doubt that things will work out. Uh, and then the other version of that is this, we call it a counterphobic response. And that's about proving that I do not deal with this fear. It's, it's, it's flinging away from it in a way to get away, but it becomes recklessness. So cowardice has doubt sort of stopping you in your tracks. Recklessness has doubt moving you into paths of danger. This will manifest in immaturity as panicky, dependent, paranoid posture and can become obsessively fearful. Sevens. Sevens are going to be motivated by a need to be happy and plan stimulating experiences. Uh, this clearly is going to manifest as a fear, and that would be the fear of being deprived. Can we talk about some deprivation? Being deprived or not having enough, not having, uh, being stuck is another great way to think about that. That is their fear. Their, their fear is that they're going to be stuck. They're not going to be able to get out and get to the things that they need. And because of that, they're going to be deprived of necessary resources. Moves into the heart as a gluttonous posture, and gluttony, gluttony is about overconsumption. Because um, three scoops of ice cream is way better than one. That's it. Moves from the heart. And gluttony becomes a fixation and the mind is scheming. How am I going to get the next thing? Yeah, scheming, planning. Uh, this seem, these seems like sort of innocuous words, but I mentioned like sevens always have their foot in the door. Like if, if you're always looking towards the next thing, then you're never focused on what's happening now. Uh, and that's what scheming is. It's always preparing for the next Whatever's coming, looking for more opportunities means you're not here. This can produce irresponsible, insatiable, reckless, impulsive, manic folks. So, hey, speaking of dragons, we have failed to mention the most famous of all dragons in our culture right now, which Josh has a picture of. <laughs> Game of Thrones is a story about overcoming dragons. Not out there, but in here. If you have not yet seen the Game of Thrones, treat yourself. Uh, here's the thing that we learn uh, when we go down this path. You are the hero. You are the dragon. You are the beauty to rescue. And you occupy all three spots. That's why those stories resonate with us. We find ourselves in them all the time. Of the night, of the dragon, of the beauty to rescue. Here's the thing. Spoilers, but sometimes the dragon wins and everybody loses their minds as the eighth season was trash. But that is what is happening. But here's why we get mad when the dragon wins. is because that's not going to be your story. And that's not going to be my story. We rebel against that image that the dragon's going to win. And that's as it should be. You're not made to fail. 
you're going to win. You are made to be a flourishing, healthy, robust human soul. We're going to conclude this series on a later episode. While you're waiting, this might be a good opportunity to think about your dragons. What kinds of fears are ruling your life? How do those fears become struggles that you come back to time and time again? But always remember, those dragons only win when we fail to tame them. As always, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. And if our work brings your life value, the best thing you can do is share our podcast with one person you care about. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, because that's where the gold is. Morning will come burning. <laughs>